time for the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster, and today we're joined by 2020 World Series champion manager Dave Roberts from the Los Angeles Dodgers. But first, I got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art, second to none, and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank them for providing that technology to the people out there so we can all wash our hands and stay safe. Well, this is a thrill. It's not too often you get to sit down, get into the mind of a World Series champion manager, and we got a great one. So let's get right to it and go off the mound with Dave Roberts. Doc, how are you, man? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, It's been a long time since we had to chat. Um, I'm living my best life. Like you said, coming off the World Series championship. Now I'm at home in San Diego, uh, spending time with family, raring up to go. So as we sit here right now, I've got a few more days and I'm heading to uh, Glendale. I know. Can you believe it? it happens so fast, right? Like here we were just a short time ago. You're on the field in Texas winning a World Series. Now you're two weeks away from pitchers and catchers being there. It's crazy. And and it's and I think it goes with 2020 with all the uh, uncertainty and all the unique time. So in baseball uh, is no exception. So, you know, with all the rules, there was talk about pushing things back. But I think uh, as as of right now, we're going to move forward and, you know, adhere to protocols and get pitches and catches here. And I got my first uh, meeting on the 17th. So I just got to wrap my head around that. And uh, I'm excited to go and uh, and uh, defend our championship. How about that? I'm curious, and like I, you know, haven't had a chance to talk to you about this, but you guys for, you know, years in a row, right, going to the NLCS, going to -to back-to-back World Series, uh, going to the DS, then getting there and finally getting that opportunity to say you're champions. What was that feeling like of chasing that carrot for so long and then finally just getting to eat the heck out of that thing? I think uh, the chasing uh, is relevant in that my first initial uh, emotion was relief. And I think that me as a, as a manager, I didn't appreciate or give credit uh, to, um, and didn't want to uh, intentionally, of the pressure uh, of having to bring a championship back to a city uh, after 32 years. Um, but once we, and, and kind of getting up to the top of the mountain, and then uh, failing and trying to do it again and again. Um, so once we, uh, you know, Julio Urias made that last out, got that last out, uh, there was relief. And then shortly thereafter, in the days following, there was a lot of uh, joy and elation. But I didn't appreciate how much kind of uh, pressure I was kind of, uh, you know, fighting off for so many years. How did you, like, to your players, what was your constant message to them? Because as players, we can get frustrated when we get so close so many times and we don't get there. What was your your message that you relayed to those guys? I'll tell you, there's a reason why, and, and am I biased? Are you biased uh, with professional athletes and specifically baseball players? There's a resiliency. Uh, there's a DNA of having to kind of pick yourself back up um, after with a game of failure. And so I think that baseball, and with that, there's a lot of successful people outside of baseball after their careers. Um, there's a grit. And I think with our guys, it was just kind of preaching the fact of, you know, we are who we are. We play a certain brand of baseball, you know, whether it's spring training, whether it's in game seven of the world series, uh, we respect the game on the field, off the field, have a responsibility. And regardless of results, Demp, 
we're going to kind of take the field and, and do it. So certainly it was challenging to kind of have a meeting after you lose in 17 in the World Series. You lose in 18 or 18 in the World Series. And uh, in 19, you get eliminated early in the in the wild card series against the eventual champions uh, national. So there's a changing of a message, but there's also the same messaging and continue to do what we do, believe in each other and uh, we'll, we'll get across the finish line. And so with 20 Demp, I just couldn't be more proud of everything we had to go through uh, with the pandemic, with the social issues that we had off the field and to still uh, prevail as champs. And I, I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, you know, talking, even talking with David Ross about it, um, you know, the first year managing for him and he gets thrown into this pandemic, I felt like 2020 might have been the hardest year to have to be a manager to all the things that players and coaches and protocols that had to be followed. Um, did you feel that way? Did you feel like it was an extremely difficult season? I, I did. I did. And it's interesting, the uh, the narrative of, you know, we're in uh, spring training 2.0 and we're approaching the 20 season and people are saying asterisks and, you know, it's 60 games. It shouldn't count. Whoever the champion at that time was going to be named. Right. Um, but then as we look out or we look back and, and we go through that season and how uh, Americans have gone through this year or went through, got through 20. Uh, anything that you do in 20 is an accomplishment. So uh, for us to balance all that stuff out, play without fans, uh, certainly not an asterisk. I think that you should put an exclamation mark on that championship. Um, but uh, hopefully uh, we can get back to some sense of normalcy. I know it's not going to be early on in the season, but um, baseball is something that our country needed at that point in time. And I just couldn't be more proud of, of the entire industry to kind of make it happen. Uh, Dave, we talked about it. You touched on it briefly there. Um, 2020, not just the pandemic, but the social issues in the country. Um, you are a man of of two different races. You're black. You're Asian. How special was it for you um, to, A, be the second black manager ever behind Cito Gaston, which I remember, 1990s uh, early Blue Jays winning the World Series there. Um, and then also, too, to be the first ever Asian-born manager. Those are two... Uh, pretty incredible accomplishments right there. It is. It is. And, and uh, I, I don't take that lightly. <clears throat> I do have a hard time sort of recognizing that and, and uh, appreciating it. I think I get, I'm guilty of living in the now. And I think as a manager, you know, you're always trying to look forward and, and think about how on the margin you can continue to be better. Um, but gosh, this game is so difficult. So if you can't enjoy winning a championship, then uh, what are we doing this for? Um, so yeah, I got a call from Cito, uh, a man that I didn't know, um, but I certainly respected from afar. I remember being at UCLA when the Blue Jays, uh, when he led that Blue Jays team back-to-back uh, -back championship. So for him to get a call, for me to get a call from him was crazy, uh, amazing. And uh, I know my mom's family back in uh, Japan were very excited for me. So yeah, to be biracial, um, it's something that I do feel that we can be better at in our industry as far as having diversity, as far as on the player side, the front office, the coaching side. So uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel that um, I'm sort of kind of creating opportunities and I want to continue to be good so other minorities do get an opportunity. I do think that for me this past year, 
uh, allowed me to grow in the sense that I was always a guy that, you know, you're a ball player, you stay in your lane, you play baseball, and that's what you do. You're great to the kids, the fans. Um, but this year forced me, our players, to kind of come out of our comfort zone uh, to speak up about what's right. And so I felt that uh, I had to kind of step out of my comfort zone to kind of use my platform to speak about what's right. And I think it impacted our country uh, in that small little bit in a positive way. And collectively, I think athletes, baseball players have done that, which I think has been fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't agree with more. Um, you know, and the work that the Players Alliance is doing all over the country as they tour around obviously led by Curtis Granderson there doing incredible things. Um, so uh, good for you, man. I was, I was so thrilled, you know, we played against each other um, and, and watching you play and obviously watching you win a world series as a player, but um, to see, you know, kind of everything you go through as a manager from the outside looking in to see you win a world series. Uh, you know, I, I was just so happy for you and your entire coaching staff and for your players. So uh, congratulations on that again. That was, that was pretty special stuff. No, it, it was. And, and like, uh, you know, you're talking about Clayton Kershaw, who his legacy, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. But, you know, for people to try to take a take a stab at him and talk about he hasn't won the big one and, you know, he doesn't perform in the postseason, you know, guys like that, uh, guys like Dino Ebel, you know, this is a lifelong uh, minor league coach, major league coach. We got him from the Angels. He went over there with Socia and never won a World Series, been to World Series. And so, you know, to see his tears and the fan base, you know, and I've got so many, you know, letters and, and emails and texts about people with grandparents and things like that. You just don't understand the scope of, and, you know, you know, in Chicago, it's like that was 106 years. And I was fortunate to be on the Red Sox team in 86 years in Boston. So, you know, it's 32 years. It's still a long time. But you don't really yeah. realize the scope of what winning a championship does for a city and people individually. I was bummed for you guys because you guys didn't get a parade. But then I said all they needed to do was just follow each other in rush hour traffic in L.A. That's pretty much a parade <laughs> speed right there. <laughs> I hear you, man, no doubt. Uh, that's the one thing about, uh, I, I guess if I could point to one thing that the pandemic has been a positive, the LA traffic has certainly subsided. Um, but I will say, man, I had dreams of uh, having a parade with the Lakers in Los Angeles, LeBron, Mookie Betts, Kershaw, that would have been crazy. How, by the way, speaking of Mookie Betts, could you be any more of an impact? You get traded with all the expectations of the world. And I know Mookie, and he's such a great kid, and he just cares about going out there and winning baseball games. You make that trade, and then he comes over, and boom, he does exactly everything's asked and more, and you guys go out and win the World Series. I, I just don't know how he does it. I, I really don't. And uh, you talk about a guy who's 5'9", 180, who is just, I mean, I guess you can say overachiever, but he's just, the biggest compliment Depp I can give him is he's present. And I've seen a lot of superstars played against, played with, you the same. But when you're talking about a superstar who's present, and I say that in all facts, factors, whether I'm having a conversation with them, whether a coach, a teammate, whether he's in the batter's box, whether he's in right field, whether he's talking to a reporter, a young fan, this guy is present. And now to give that person or group their full undivided attention and still to perform at an elite superstar level, that's very difficult because a lot of the players that I played with feel like if you're giving to your teammates and others, you're sacrificing your own performance. So a guy that can kind of balance both and play at this superstar level, it's very rare. 
And there's not many guys that can come into a clubhouse uh, and change and enhance the culture. And uh, Mookie did that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to put him on the same level as Tom Brady, uh, but he's doing a lot of things that, that Tom obviously did to the Bucks in this year. Well, you know, you got a talent pool over there in L.A. that is uh, that is desirable by a lot of teams. They wish they had that. And you add a little addition this offseason, and you go and get the guy on the free agent market, the biggest pitcher out there, Trevor Bauer, decides to come there, A, on a three-year deal for a massive amount of money per year. Um, but talk about that, adding that to your already incredible rotation. Uh, you know, I, I know no one's going to feel sorry for us. <laughs> um, obviously Trevor was the number one free agent on the market and you win with pitching, um, pitching depth, elite pitching. Uh, our, our goal as a, with the Dodgers is to win the world series every year. And so when you're talking about winning 11 games in the postseason, or last year, 13 games, uh, in a postseason, uh, you know, he was a guy that I loved our starting staff before Trevor, but this is a guy that was from Los Angeles, went to UCLA and really wanted to be a Dodger and always wanted to be a Dodger. And I had a conversation with him a couple days ago about, you know, being in the nosebleeds with his father and his first baseball game and hoping one day to become a Dodger. And so now uh, for us, ownership, Mark Walter, uh, Andrew Friedman, to kind of make it happen with his representation. Um, I'm certainly excited. I know Clayton, uh, Walker, Bueller, all these guys are thrilled. So he just makes a very good team. Uh, that much better so i'm thrilled to have them hey because we need pitching depth you need to have that because the unknown and to be able to give those guys a little bit of a break because one thing you guys have been doing every year is deep in the playoffs that's a heavy workload on all your arms when you can add a guy like that and you know a young guy like uh, julio urias to be able to put him in the rotation you know that's a a, a nice luxury to have that depth for sure right no, it is. And also, you're looking at this is uh, unprecedented in the sense that uh, David Price opted out last year, so he didn't pitch. And now you have a 60-game schedule. And now you're expecting guys to make 28, 30 starts. We haven't done that. And, and so, um, so to have the depth to give guys a blow, uh, hopefully guard against a potential injury that seems to always happen with, with pitching, um, you can never have enough. So I, I think that our front office does a great job in sort of uh, preparing our guys for the unexpected and also managing workload because we're not trying to play for six months. We're trying to play through October. And so you certainly need that pitching. You as a manager, um, incredible. You've been doing great stuff. Manager of the year, now World Series champion. But I want to go down a little bit of memory lane with you. You as a player, um, first of all, drafted twice out of college, never a high draft pick you know, twice out of UCLA, and then, you know, you just do your thing and get to the big leagues and have a 10-year career. Uh, you know, what was that like just knowing, you know, that you were good enough, but teams weren't quite giving you the credit, but then you were able to just go out there and get a chance to play and, and do your thing? Um, do you see that and be able to pass that story along to younger players to be able to help them out? Yeah. I do. I do. Damn. I, I think for me, it was it was that chip on my shoulder. I went to UCLA and I thought I performed well and, and obviously didn't uh, reflect on the scouts decision and team's decision to draft me. I was drafted low. I signed for a whopping thousand um, dollars. But that was a chip on my shoulder. And I, I think that, you know, in baseball where we play, it's always a, a marathon, not a sprint. 
you know, you talk mm-hmm. about players and coaches always talking about there needs to be a sense of urgency. So for me, uh, I always had that sense of urgency. I always had to play well and felt that every opportunity that, that I did get, uh, I had to earn and I didn't want to give it away and I want to take full advantage of it. So um, being a 28th round draft pick, continuing to kind of work my way up the ladder, spending five years in the minor leagues, uh, that kind of motivated me every time I took the field. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, James Shields the other day. Uh, we were playing golf, and, you know, he had a longer career. And we were both talking about that we didn't leave anything on the table. We left it all out on the field. And for me right now, as I sit here with you, it's like I left it all out there on the field. And uh, respect of my teammates, my coaches, I think I've earned that. And it started kind of me being drafted really late and having that chip on my shoulder. Um, speaking of competing out on the field, so – we're playing against each other, and this is 2006, May 8th. I went and found the date. I looked this up, and I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> I hadn't pitched in a week. I was closing for the team, and we came to San Diego, and you guys were winning 7-3, to three, and you lead off the inning, and you drag a bunt for a base hit. Yep. Do you remember how mad I was at you when I looked over at you? <laughs> so – I do. I do. And you know what's funny is that uh, the listeners are going to have a good time with this one because I'm an old school player. And everything that I've learned is that uh, as long as a grand slam, you play until a grand slam can't tie the game. So for me, we had just lost seven in a row, something like that. And then the Dodgers came back. I was with the Padres at that time. The Dodgers came back and beat us in the ninth inning. And so for me to lead off the game, and I didn't know you hadn't pitched in, in a week. So I apologize, Deb. I love you. But for me, it's like I was leading off. I wanted to get that extra jug run so uh, Grand Slam couldn't tie it. So I lead off, butt base it. D Lee's at first. He's pissed at me. You're pissed at me. Dusty's the manager. He's chirping at me. So then I'm mad. I steal second base. We score yes. another run. We win the game. And then – I will say this. We played you guys like a week later. First pitch of the game in Wrigley Field, I get drilled in the ribs by one of your pitchers. And then I was more mad, so then I stole second base again. And a score run, and then me and Michael Barrett got into it at some point in that series. But that's old school baseball, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I was probably, Dave, more mad at myself for not being ready to field the bunt than I was at you. You were just the vehicle and outlet for me to get mad at. And then but you that's stole second. I'm like, and now you're going to take second too? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I loved you because there's no one that competed harder than you did. Oh, I appreciate that. Now that speaking of stolen bases, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this because people would say this is arguably um, your you know, greatest moment on the field, although I would argue you had a better playoff in 2006 when you absolutely raked against the Cardinals. But um, yes, you you come and you get an opportunity to come to Boston. They're trying to break the curse. They got a great team. They get down 3-0 to the Yankees. And the the biggest stolen base in Major League Baseball history, off Mariano Rivera. Can you kind of just take us through a little bit what that was like? What was going through your head? Um, and, and just, you know, getting that, being able to tie the game up. And then we all know the rest of the history behind all that. You know, um, first off, I got traded uh, to the Red Sox at the deadline, um, and I was with the Dodgers at the time, and a first-place Dodger team. So I get there, and right when I got there, uh, Kevin Millar, your good buddy, uh, Manny, David, Pedro, all these guys were so receptive to me and put their arms around me, and 
I went from being a starting player in LA to a bench guy. And that was kind of my role. Terry Francona kind of let me know the situation and um, just asked me to buy in. And so for me, that was an easy sell. Um, and so now as you fast forward, it was just preparing for an opportunity that I didn't know that was going to happen. And if it did, I wanted to be ready to go. And so, uh, so at that point in time, Kevin Millar graded bat against uh, Mo. Um, I get summoned out to first base and I'm telling you, Demp, I was nervous. I was scared. I was excited. It was freezing cold uh, at Fenway Park. We're down 3-0. You know, I see Mariano Rivera on the mound and I'm like, gosh, I'm just scared, right? And um, Maury Wills, who I have his uh, jersey right behind me, always told me, says, DR, one of these days you're going to steal a base and you're going to have to steal a base when everyone in the ballpark knows you're going to steal and you can't be afraid to take that base. And so that was kind of the one angel on one shoulder. And the other angel for these baseball fans is Bill Buckner, who in 86, there was a ball that went between his legs. And from that point on, uh, Red Sox fans blamed him for that losing uh, the World Series. And that was game six. They ended up losing game seven anyway. But regardless, I had Bill Buckner on the other side. So for me, Maury won out. I was prepared for that opportunity. Got a great jump. Uh, Mo threw over three times. Almost got me, I think, the second throw over. But after, as a base stealer, you know, once they throw over once, two times, three times, it just locks you in. You're just in sync with everything. And mind you, I hadn't played in over a week since that moment. So if he would have probably delivered at that point in time, I probably wouldn't have went on the first pitch. But after he threw over one, two, and three times, I had him on like the Top Gar Maverick radar lock. So <laughs> I had him, and then I just got a good jump, and uh, Derek makes a tag, and uh, he just goes, how the F did you just do that? So I got a big kick out of that. Billy Miller, uh, ex-Cubby, drove me in, which is very underrated, that play, and I love Billy to death. Scored that tying run. We end up playing extra innings. David walks it off, and then we ended up proceeding to win eight straight games. So people look at that as kind of a turning point, so I'm just humbled to be a part of it. Dude, you've had these amazing moments as a player, you know, something so special like that, to be able to manage a great team to a World Series um, championship. Do you sometimes just sit back and just pinch yourself and say, wow, what a life I'm living? I do. I do that all the time. Um, I, I look at, you know, I've been with my wife for 25, well, we've been married for 25 years and high school sweethearts. I got two beautiful kids, uh, one playing baseball, you know, a daughter who's looking at colleges right now. And I just re remember, you know, where I started trudging through the minors and then now to see, you know, carve out a 10 year career. Uh, as a player, coach, coach, and then now manage. I just, a lot of gratitude. And I think that for me, as people that do know me, see me positive uh, on the daily. And that's the reason why, because I just have a lot to be grateful for. And I want everyone that, you know, walks or comes across my path to feel the same exact way. Well, you're, you're always positive. Um, you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk, you lead by example. And uh, you're a leader of great men there. You, you did great things winning the World Series. Congratulations to you. Uh, and thanks so much for taking the time and stopping by out off the mound here with me and, and catching up on life and baseball. Awesome, Demp. Great catching up with you, man. And uh, I love the uh, sport coat, man. You're always dialed <laughs> to the nines. I love it. Uh, so great to catch up with Dave Roberts. Still mad at him for bunning off me. And then stealing second base. Just enough of that. But a lot of fun. A lot of fun catching up with him. If you want to hear more great conversations like the one we just had, please download and subscribe to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast 
on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and it's all presented by our good friends at Sloan. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Ryan Dempster. Have yourself a great night.